Bandwidth for September has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-O-Y, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. All right, I'm recording. And so is my garage band. Everything right, now I'm recording. Is recording. Here we go. Three, two, one. We recorded this episode on September 15th, 2015. This is on the great episode 133. This week, a nice man from Baltimore overexplains nostalgia and maybe his work. Here we go. I just got back from beautiful Portland, Oregon for the XOXO Conference and Festival. Except I only had festival tickets because I didn't get the, the conference lottery. So I was there for the festival, I guess, not, not the conference technically. What does that mean? You can't see anybody speak? Yeah, so they have uh, talks over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday from like, you know, 9 to 5-ish. Sure. I couldn't go to any of those. Yep. But then they also have things going on from 7 p.m. to 1 a.m., uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, uh, and Thursday night, really. And mm-hmm. I, I could go to all of those things. And then, of course, everyone's in town. So in addition to all of the officially sanctioned XOXO events, there are all sorts of other things going on. So it was cool. I got to meet a lot of internet friends in person, and I met quite a few people who listened to the show. So hello, if you listen to the show. Thank you for listening and being so friendly in person. Have you all been recognized by your voice yet in a public place? Has anyone heard your voice and turned around and gone, are you Matt McInerney? No. Uh, it has happened. It has happened uh, in very specific settings, not just walking around in public. But yes, it has happened. Well, yeah, like the, the conference was a very specific setting, I suppose. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming someone turned around and said, hey, Andy. It happened a couple of times. It actually oh. happened oftentimes when I said Baltimore, because someone asked where I was from, <laughs> and I would say Baltimore, and they would go, wait a minute, I only know one person from Baltimore that would possibly be here. Are you that guy from that podcast? Would that work for me if I just started screaming the South? Like, it did, is that the same equivalent, or is that only just because you say Baltimore so Well, you would so have often? to scream it, because Andy saying Baltimore is kind of like saying, Baltimore! Are you just saying I'm louder than Dan, or... Yes. I don't say Baltimore that much. I don't talk about the city that often, do I? Uh, nonstop, all the time. Yeah. Are you trolling right now? No. I think you're trolling. I think you talk about where you live more than Dan or I do. Yeah. By at least two or three times. Really? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think you're a proud Baltimorean. How about the ratio of how much I talk about Baltimore relative to how much I talk relative to you and how much you talk about New York or Philadelphia and how much you talk? You know what I'm saying? I talk more in no, the first no, that's place. No, no. I'm not just saying. I'm saying percentage of talk time. You're talking about Baltimore, not Baltimore-less. <laughs> God damn it, What's man. the last thing I said about Baltimore in the show? <laughs> you said the benches have the greatest city in America emblazoned on them. Yeah, yeah, I did say that. Yeah, you've said that several times, in fact. You like, seem to repeat that a lot. Well, listen, you know what, Dan? Not everyone, not everyone listens to every episode. We can have a little bit of churn. It's all right. We can have a little bit of turnover. No, it's okay. I don't mind it. I'm just telling you that you've repeated that a couple of times. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Do you guys know the benches here say the greatest city in America? No, I didn't know that. Tell me all about it. It's funny because Baltimore really isn't the greatest city in America, really by any metric. So You, you uh, usually tell the story as a story of irony, too. It's a little mm-hmm. tongue-in-cheek. Yep. Yeah. Baltimore. Good old Balmer. Anyway, I had never been to a, uh, I mean, XOXO... I think uh, markets itself as a technology conference and festival. And mm-hmm. I've never attended one of those things, really. I mean, I've gone to technology events here in Baltimore. I'm talking about Baltimore again. What up? 
Uh, you know, I've gone to little events here and there. I've gone to lectures and stuff, but I, I have intentionally avoided these big kind of conferency things. Uh, sure. even, even the ones that were very popular, you know, in the heyday of Build uh, or like uh, Brooklyn Beta was one that like all the people that I know in the world were going to, much like Build. Mm-hmm. And I felt a little bit of peer pressure to go, but I always avoided it. And um, the, the reason I have avoided them in the past is partially because I'm, I'm realizing slowly that I'm actually kind of introverted, which may strike mm. some people as a surprise. That's very mm-hmm. interesting. Did you not realize that, Dan? No, not for a second. Here's the thing. Introverts can also talk. Yes, they can. They just have to recharge. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the idea of being around a bunch of uh, strange people, not, you know, not my perfect idea of a fun, fun evening. Sure. So I think that's part of it. And I think a bigger part of it is that uh, I've avoided those places because it seems like uh, I just be surrounded by people that are just like me, which is something that I have no desire to do really at all. Uh, like, I think a lot of people like to seek out like-minded people and go to conferences mm-hmm. so they can talk about all their favorite topics and shoot the shit about websites and what kind of apps are you making. And that is my, like, personal living nightmare. I, I never want to do that. So Well, that kind of begs the question, what are you doing here with us right now? Yeah. I mean, we've... <laughs> that's a very interesting point. Although, we have often said this is a podcast that's supposed to be about design, but almost never is. Like, sure. we, start, we started this show kind of as the antithesis of all of this talk that I despise so much that would go on at these places, at least in my mind. Because again, I was kind of judging from a distance, never really had gone. Mm, so yeah, I, I think that we don't talk about like, what's your favorite way to use Photoshop? Do you have a favorite size for the, for the burn tool when you're trying to bring out the shadows in a, in a, in a portrait? What's your favorite Pathfinder tool? Uh, we don't talk about that stuff, right? Because it's stupid. And that's what people even talk about at conferences. So, so I had avoided them. And I went to XOXO this year for really two reasons. Uh, one reason is that You Look Nice Today was doing a reunion show, which I felt I had to be there for because it is my favorite podcast of all time. It means a great deal to me. And it seems like the opportunities to see them live are not very often. And they are never on the East Coast. So it was worth going out there for that. But the bigger reason is honestly because uh, XOXO and the, and the Andes that run it, it is run by two Andes, Andy Bio and Andy McMillan. Well, that explains everything. Yep. Well, yeah, exactly. So I, I was joking. I was like the sixth or seventh tier Andy at this event. There was just Andes all over. You know, it's funny. Andy is like a combination of the word and and the Spanish and. It's like and and. And Andy and 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 Andy. And Andy. That's a shout out for our Spanish speaking listeners out there. Sure. So, <laughs> so uh, they make the, the Andes have in the past couple years. I mean, so XOXO is four years old. And as they tell it, uh, the first two years of running it, they noticed that it was basically full of a bunch of white dudes, which you may anticipate if uh, you're putting on the kind of event they're putting on with technology and mm-hmm. internet stuff going on, that it will draw out a lot of those people. And uh, so we noticed that, and starting last year and this year, this year included, they have gone to sort of great lengths to make sure, or to strive to have a more diverse audience at the, at the event. So when you submit your application to go to XOXO, you do have to apply because they only allow people that have, that create things. Uh, so if you apply and they say, one of the questions is, you know, what do you make? I think it's the only question, really. Um, if you're like, oh, I'm a social media marketer for blah, 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 or I'm a recruiter trying to connect rock star talent with really great opportunities, uh, they won't <coughs> let you in because you're not a person making something. You're one of these monstrous parasite charlatans that's just, you know, eating and 
sucking life out of the community. So how do you really feel about that? I don't like those people, but I recognize that it's an inevitability of a financially successful industry. So I don't get mad at them individually unless they are mean to me. I just, it's a, it's an unfortunate reality of, uh, of what we do. Sure. So, uh, so yeah, they keep those people out. And, uh, and this year they specifically asked if you identified as somebody that was underrepresented or marginalized in technology or design or whatever the, the terminology was. And, uh, so they used that sort of information and they also this year provided, uh, some subsidized passes. So some people that couldn't afford otherwise to attend the event for whatever reason, uh, got to apply for a subsidized pass and have their price reduced 50 bucks. Mm. And this caused a bunch of idiots on the internet to say idiotic things as they want to do oh did i miss this this was a whole thing it wasn't really a whole thing i, I saw at least one designer news thread where people were complaining that they could just should just lie and say that they're you know a certain underrepresented group so they can get a cheaper pass because it's reverse racism or whatever it is stupid um but so they offered this thing which i think is great they did all this work and and they really do get an audience of people that is pretty much devoid of of jerks and uh and and goons and is quite diverse uh and it's diverse not just in the sort of thing you can see with your eyeballs uh this year they had i think 45 or 50 percent women which is great and i think 20 percent or 20 or 30 percent people of color which they acknowledge they're still working on but they're happy with sort of improvements from past years mm-hmm. um so it's diverse in those ways right that you can actually see with your eyes but also it's diverse in the sense that not everyone is doing the same thing i'm doing shockingly i mean a good number of people are still because it's those are the kind of people that get drawn to an event like this, but not everybody. <laughs> and there was, I met a ton of very interesting people around there that were doing things. There, met one person that was running a hostel, met people that were all different kinds of artists or musicians or game developers and designers, people that, uh, like physical games, like, you know, tabletop games or, or board oh, okay. games. Um, you know, things that I don't ever get a chance to run into in my day-to-day life. And so I thought it was interesting that the attempts by the conference to... Um, not keep people like me out, but to recognize that a conference of people like me is no good uh, is actually the thing that made me want to go, which I thought was interesting. And I kind of had this moment of reflection where I, I knew that if I had uh, seen this, seen their sort of attempts to help diversify the crowd and maintain a sort of, not equal opportunity, but you know, give anybody that really wants to go a chance, um, all their attempts at that. Uh, if I had seen those when I was, say, maybe in college, maybe freshman or sophomore in college, uh, my response would have been much more akin to the, the idiots on the internet that were like, oh, what's the deal? Just because I'm a white dude, I, I'm get, I don't get chosen or whatever. Uh, which, that was how I felt. Uh, I mean, I'm not proud of it. I've, I've learned a lot. But um, I don't know. It's interesting that now the thing that seven years ago would have pushed me away and made me think this was a stupid event is the exact thing that draws me in and makes me want to go. So uh, it was a great, it was a great time. That, that's, uh, I, I just wanted to sort of shout out to the Andes and everyone else helping to put on XOXO because they, uh, I was so impressed. They had thought of like so many things. There was, everything was ADA compliant. They could get anywhere no matter what your sort of mobility needs were. They had the entire, all the talks and all the things that happened on the main stage were closed captioned live uh, by somebody in Maine or something. Um, so they like really thought of everything and it was uh, clear that it was a ton of work and it really made it a fantastic event. It was I only got one business car while I was there. Just one. Doesn't that make you feel good? Isn't that remarkable? So you'll never talk to anybody ever again, but you met everybody wonderful. Is that what you're trying to say? I didn't... No. I'm just... I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm only kidding. No. I know business business cards have a connotation. You could just use a business card as a way to hand someone 
your phone number and email address because you like them and you would like to get in touch with them again. But I yes. know what it really means. Well, it's funny. So I was actually, I was talking to Anita Sarkeesian and oh, cool. she was saying, I got to talk to lots of cool people. And she was, uh, people were talking about how they hate business cards and blah, blah, blah. And everyone should just give each other Twitter handles. And she was saying that, that in itself is a kind of, uh, a kind of bias because she can't just give you her Twitter handle. You can't be friends with her on Twitter because she's never going to see your tweets because they're drowned out in, you know, a sea of vitriol and shitty people. So mm-hmm. she doesn't have an opportunity to connect like that. So she actually appreciates people giving them, giving her a card with her email address or phone number on it so she can actually really connect with them in a way that works on her terms. So there's even biases in that. Sure. In me hating business cards. Because mm-hmm. jerks usually have them. I barely talk. I shouldn't misrepresent it. I like spoke to her in line for ice cream and said that I thought she did great work. <laughs> Sorry, once I, mean, I got to pick this up. Andy's dropping things over here. Wait, what? Just, pick, just picking up some names that he's been dropping. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> Zing. I thought she said, she said something smart, and people know who she is. I thought no, I, I know. Say it. It's very true. Uh, I think... No, I, I, uh, I, don't dis, I don't dislike someone handing me a business card. I know that the connotation is that it's evil and scummy and it's uh, not someone's evil. trying to get your money. But well, no, it's, it's just it that... Is, uh, in, in the simplest form, it's just someone giving you their information. Yes. Well, so I think, I think the part that's, that bums me out about it is that it seems so much like you are defining yourself by what your job is. Yeah. Uh, like it, it, for that to be like the first thing you do when you meet somebody or like the only takeaway they have from a brief interaction with you, you're not a person is what you're communicating. You're just a social media manager or whatever you are. So I, I'm all for like, if you had like a nice calling card or something, you had your information on it or and did something kind of interesting and cute with it. As long as it's not just, you know, here's my fax and my mobile and my direct line and the main line and all the sort of phone numbers listed out in a big pile. Somebody emailed me today with a signature that had six phone numbers for them in it. Whoa. I guess one was a fax number, but there were six numbers. I was like, what is this trap? Which one do I call? Probably the first one. Yeah. And then just work your way down. Yeah. Well, I didn't call him in the first place. So, uh, so yeah, that was that. Um, did you, so while let's just get the name dropping out of the way. Did you, uh, did you listen to Roderick on the line this week yet? No, not yet. Mm-hmm. You should, because uh, he talks about the fact that uh, a nice man from Baltimore gave him a book, and that was me. Ooh. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I brought a book for, I brought him a pattern language. We talked about a pattern language on the show before. Yes, we and, have. And uh, I feel like, I've, I've always felt like that would be a book that would sort of be very interesting to John, given his interest in systems and his interest in uh, sort of civic service and running for state, city council. And so uh, he talks a little bit about the fact that Nice man from Baltimore who appeared like he knew how to do things because I wrapped it in brown paper. And he says that he says if you wrap something <laughs> oh, in brown boy. paper, you, you, you must know how to do things. And so. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah. Okay. I'm definitely going to listen to that. You should. It's pretty good. I was, I was very excited. I, was, I put it on. I managed to download it right as the plane was taxiing and the person was walking down the, the aisle to tell me to shut my phone off. I downloaded it right before it finished and then uh, or finished downloading right before we took off. And I listened to it on my plane ride out of Portland. A very nice man gave me a very nice book. Hmm. Um, told some stories. Who who gave you a book? Can you say? Uh, he's a he's a, a wonderful fellow from Baltimore. He gave me a book. He said, "I thought that you would like this book. It oh. was it was wrapped in brown paper with tied with a string, <laughs> like like he was uh, someone who knew how to do things." Does it make you feel good that John Roderick referred to you as a nice man as opposed to some sort of boy? Like, I feel oh, like, for sure. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, I mean, part of the reason I love that show is that very oftentimes it feels like they are uh, admonishing basically me directly because they, they talk about themselves when they were younger. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, in, in the context of, like, or our, our relationship to them is that we would be children and they would be our parents, right? I think. Uh, they'd be pretty young parents if they were our parents. It's possible, certainly. But John Roderick could be anywhere between 
He's uh, in his mid forty and seventy five. He's in his mid forties. My dad has twenty years on John Roderick. Um, <laughs> but but no, like they very oftentimes specifically mention like how dumb they were when they were twenty seven on their podcast, and I'm like, hello, mm-hmm. they're yeah. talking directly to me. I'm still dumb. When I heard a nice man from Baltimore, I assumed a second John Roderick that just happened to be from Baltimore. Good job, Andy. You're you're a grown adult now. Yep. Yay, I'm a man. Mm-hmm. Woo, I did it. <laughs> if you want to go to XOXO next year, you're going to need to make something to put in your application. Because again, they only take people that make stuff. And one of the best ways to make great stuff is to use great source material. So for whatever you're creating, there's no better resource than Pond5. From video clips and After Effects templates to music and sound effects, Pond5 has the media you need, perfect for your project, and you get to stick to your budget. You've heard some jerk somewhere talk about crowdsourcing. All that means is you're not good at that much stuff, and the internet is good at everything. So you can go use them to make yourself seem better at stuff. And Pond5 has some of the highest payouts in the industry, meaning you're always going to find the highest quality content and the most diverse content. And you get to know you're supporting the people that made that content. And what is better than supporting great artists and creative people all around the globe? I don't know if this is better, but it's also good. Pond5 content is royalty-free, so you don't have to worry about it after you buy oh, it. Oh, that's better. It's actually a lot better. I don't. That's better than oh, supporting I don't, people. I don't want to support anyone, yeah, for but sure. I don't want to have to worry about rights-managed materials and how long and how many views I have for this photo or whatever. Look, even if you're like me and you love spreadsheets, you're not going to want to manage that spreadsheet. That's not one of the fun ones. It's fast and affordable, and even more so with the exclusive code for 25% off your next purchase. Just visit Pond5.com and enter on the grid at checkout. Yeah, make great stuff and support people while you're doing it. So thank you to Pond5 for supporting 5 by 5 and on the grid. Pond5, put something good in that rectangle with an X through it. Anyways, what are we talking about? Yeah, what are we talking about this week? Hmm? Hmm? Oh, that, that was it. I also wanted to talk about, so now that we've gotten <laughs> over all the good stuff that happened at XOXO, yeah. and uh, now that I've, I've name-dropped for the... All, that's all the name-dropping I expect to do for a long time, uh, given my lack of exposure to people, usually. So, got my name-dropping for 2015 out of the way. Uh, I wanted to talk about <laughs> a, uh, a situation that was not so great at XOXO. It wasn't strictly part of the events. It was after one of the events at a bar. But, um... You know, I think uh, I have this history of, I'm curious to find out from both of you, like when, where you learned to uh, discuss things or argue, like, like, what what was your, what was your model for like how to uh, just explain an idea you have or defend it or kind of talk to somebody who disagreed with you and sort of where you learned those skills? Uh, Because I regrettably, very regrettably, learned most of those skills on an internet forum in middle school <laughs> and high school, which is really a bad place to learn those things. Uh, and because of that, I, for especially late in high school and early in college, I was extremely kind of combative when it came to discussions about ideas and whatever I thought. And I had to make a sort of, first of all, I had to realize that's what was happening, that I was being that way and not that uh, everybody else in the world was being sensitive. And then I had to kind of make a very conscious effort to ignore my first response to something or to think about it before it comes out of my mouth and say, wait a minute, is that overly aggressive? Is that overly defensive? Is that overly assertive? Should I instead take a different tack on this and try and talk about it? And I'm still, I think, on the pretty defensive and aggressive side of the spectrum, but I think I've gotten better. Um, And I have tried really hard to specifically not 
instigate anything. Um, although I found out the past weekend that I still am pretty bad when somebody else instigates. <laughs> and then things get messy. So we were at, we were at this bar, and uh, I was there with my new friend, Paul. Uh, Paul's this really great guy that uh, sh- he does the videos for XOXO. So that's how I met him. He does the recap video every year. Um, really cool dude. He, uh, he quit his job when he, for the first XOXO festival. Like his job wouldn't give him the time off to go and film it like he wanted to. So he just quit and he's been freelancing ever since, which is a really cool story, I think. Cool. Um, so anyway, with my friend Paul, and it's, it's relevant that he's shooting the recap video for XO because we were talking to this other group of people at a bar and he you know, mentioned that the reason he was there is because he was shooting the recap video and he does it every year. And, uh, and this like dude in this other group of people uh, asks Paul how he can like live with himself by capitalizing on the lie that is nostalgia and like trying to take advantage of people's memories by making these recap videos, which uh, just rubbed me the wrong way. And then we got in this big argument about what is nostalgia and how is it okay? Is it real? And basically like everyone else in the group, like slowly, like one by one as they hit their various tolerances for <laughs> just jackasses away. arguing, just walked away until it was just the two of us. And finally he just walked away and I was sitting there like, oh man, what just happened? Shit. I did a bad job. Uh, so I was, I was curious to, um, I think this is relevant to, to a couple of things, but I was curious first to find out where, like, did you all have the, have the luxury of learning how to talk about your ideas in the context of something like a design criticism, like at art school, or did you Oof. already have already have an MO when you arrived in that place? No, at school, I, that's where I kind of learned. Even then, I was exceptionally passive still in school. I didn't even start to get really good at uh, formulating and defending an argument up until like I was in the workplace. I think I figured it. I think I uh, started to argue and, and hone my arguing skills. Not that I'm any good at it. But uh, via having uh, l- looking up different religious or political views online and then wanting to argue about that with everybody when I was in middle school and in high school. Wait, so you would just like look up a religious view so you could like plan <laughs> no, 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 and argue no, against no. it when you met somebody that had that view or Gosh. what? No, I think what I'm trying to say is I was definitely the angry atheist kid who anytime I mm, came across yeah. a religious person, What's I would up? very much want to argue with them about that. I also, when I was uh, maybe in middle school and high school, decided I was a libertarian and then I was going to argue uh, against everybody who had any sort of differing political view. I had a very, you- very brief libertarian phase too. It was in like seventh grade, you know, political science where they like taught us what libertarian meant and i was like mm-hmm. that sounds like me i think i'm all yeah. about that yeah libertarianism is that what it would be uh yeah, that's being what libertarian it is. would very much align with being a punk rocker or being like hardcore kid or like that kind of it seemed to me like the kind of diy attitude would also lend itself to a libertarian worldview so when i learned about it uh there's like a what was it there's like some radio show some like some podcast. So this was when when podcasts were around. Some like libertarian podcast. Actually, this ties into how much I like talk radio, and I said it didn't influence me. Um, hey, <laughs> I want to go back to a- Andy from that episode two episodes ago and say, you know what, man, just you got this. Chill out. Was that last episode? Or two episodes ago. That was uh, wait, what? The talking about dangerous. The one where ideas? you said you weren't affected by anything you've ever looked at culturally. You just no. You're just, I said you're I wasn't just an affected. island, and nothing ever changes you. I said I wasn't affected negatively. I think is what I said. Uh, I said, what's the harm if you... if You <laughs> you only get better. You're, no yeah. matter what you're exposed to, you just get a little better. Yeah, what's the harm if I find... I think I said, what's the harm if I find the humanity in an idea I don't agree with? What's so bad about that, Andy? Um, <clears throat> so I was listening to, like, 
something like free talk radio or something. There's some two dudes who would talk about libertarian ideals all the time. And I decided that that was, that was for me because I don't need anyone telling me what to do. Uh, actually, my, my main my main political view was I don't need anyone telling me what to do. Except for these libertarians on this libertarian radio show. They really got their shit figured out. <coughs> I mean, they're not telling me what to do. I'm just listening to them, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they are telling you what to do, Matt. They're just doing it in an interesting way that you wouldn't expect. So I learned to argue by uh, deciding I would just argue with anyone I disagreed with, uh, which was pretty much everyone. So very, I was a very aggressive, uh, angry kid. Yep. This is a story about how <laughs> white, defensive young men grew up and have a podcast together. That's not surprising. Um, so do you think that you, did you ever make an effort to unlearn that? Or do you think you still are that way to this day, largely? Or like, how does that play into your life as a designer and a grown person who's not supposed to be an idiot all the time? I definitely made an effort to stop being so aggressive, for sure. It's difficult to continue doing that and make friends. Because everybody just think like I would go even even at freshman in college, I would go to parties and get in arguments with people that would just last the entire night. And mm. it is just not sustained because then you become the guy that they're like, mm, maybe don't hang out with him because no matter what happens, he'll bring around to some argument that will never, ever end. Wait, did you actually find that fun, though, just to go to parties and argue? with Oh, people? yeah. Yes, I did find it fun. It was very fun to argue you with everybody. sick bastard. Well, you, right. you can see why uh, maybe you wouldn't want to hang out with me if I was doing that all the time, right? Yeah. I mean, fair game. Yeah. We're going to call this episode, Dan is the well-adjusted one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, no, no, I was exceptionally passive to the point where I, I would just avoid confrontation and, and argumentation, uh, period. So I don't know if that's necessarily the, the better side of the same coin. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't think I was aggressive as Matt is describing. Like, I wouldn't seek out arguments. Yeah. But uh, any time that a view expressed was not my view, I was very keen to explain why my view was the one that was correct. Uh, and it was more, I, I recognize now that it was, of course, more just me being fragile and sort of feeling like I had to justify who I was to myself and others all the time because I, I guess didn't believe that I was something. So I had to sort of make that case all the time. Um, still probably a little bit of that going on in there, if we're honest. I thought I was making a moral stance. Like, I can remember... A moral stance for libertarianism. <laughs> or, well, probably, you know, it, it transitioned to atheism more so later uh-huh. on, but... Uh, which which I mean, is I a can, great I MO. Where, I can even remember instances where I would be talking to a girl and be like, oh, she's pretty cool. This could go somewhere. And then finding out one little thing and being like, nope, I'm taking my moral stance. I can't possibly uh, get to know her anymore. And then turn it into an argument, and she would walk away inevitably. That was a thing. Cool. Cool, dude. <laughs> wow. Well, that happened to me over the weekend. <laughs> Basically. Uh, yeah, no. So, so these people all like slowly, one, one by one, walked away over the course of probably like eight minutes. It wasn't long. It was like very quickly it escalated to uh, the worst kind of argument. And then when they came back, they all just came back and sat one table further away. <laughs> Ooh. It was really bad. Uh, I, felt, I felt really bad. I also I didn't have the, uh, I didn't have the courage to go up and say like hey i didn't mean for that to happen can we start over i just didn't talk to them again and walked away at the end of the night shameful um mm. and, and the reason it, the reason it uh i mean i feel bad because i don't really know how it went wrong like i was replaying it in my head and it'd be too easy for me just to blame this person for kind of maybe aggressively jumping down my friend's throat for making videos uh, or he could have been joking and just have no sense of the tone of his voice or i don't know what it was uh, but either way, my normal policy of trying to humanize turned into a policy of escalation. 
uh, which didn't go well. And so I, I feel bad that I contributed to that. And also, I, I feel just very sad that I'm sure that everyone else there uh, has like the worst idea of me, or rather the idea of me that I least want to project, uh, which is basically like the, the image of a mansplainer. Uh, is the thing I, I, I least want to be. And it's the thing I least want to be because I'm, I'm afraid that I am it, right? Like, you, yeah. you, like, you're not afraid of being something you aren't at all, right? Like, like I'm not afraid of, uh, I don't know, what's something I'm not at all? You know my point. It, you're always afraid of the thing that you fear you might have in you or you're closest to or you actually are. It's not like the things that are in the distance are scary. So, but that, that kind of made me think a little bit about... Um, so we should explain what a mansplainer is, I think, right? Uh, just in case anybody listening gonna, is not familiar with the you're, term. You're going to mansplain about mansplaining. I'm going to mansplain mansplaining. <laughs> okay. So here's the deal. So I mean, a mansplainer is, or a, a mansplanation is a, is a moment, usually on social media in my experience, though it can happen in real life too, where uh, a man, usually the sort of defining feature is that he is talking to somebody who is not a man. And who is actually very knowledgeable about the thing he's about to explain to them uh, that he thinks they don't understand. I think it kind of stems from uh, men very uh, dismissively and patronizingly explaining things to women that they assume women don't know. And then it turns out that the women actually do know those things, even if they don't know those things. Just the idea that it's based on the assumption that the person you're talking to doesn't know. Uh, That's what the danger of mansplaining is. Because Mm -hmm. the reason I struggle with it is because ultimately I think that explaining is a good thing. I think if more people were able to articulate and explain their views and have a conversation about them, uh, that's okay. So I was trying to like negotiate this world where like I don't want to be a mansplainer. That is the thing I'm most afraid of. Uh, and yet, I love explaining things. I love so much telling people about the things that I know about and love. It's one of my favorite things to do. Hello, it's why we have a podcast. So like, I don't want to stop talking about the things that I really love and, and know about and have read the Wikipedia, Wikipedia pages four or four or five times. But uh, I also don't want to skirt that line of being uh, that guy. And my read is that that line is when you just assume the person you're talking to because they are not a man does not know. And therefore you kind of, well, let me explain how a computer works, honey. You're going to have a bunch of switches and they're really small and, uh, you know, binary assembly code. Um, that's where I think it gets bad. Does that, does that make sense to, to you all? Yeah, of yeah. course it does. Yes. I guess I'm wondering why, th- why it applies here, because weren't you just arguing with a rude guy? Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it, it very quickly became like a stupid, pedantic discussion of what defines nostalgia and then what defines, it's somebody we were talking about, what defines a hipster, and I was very excited <laughs> to give my definition of a hipster because it's something that I've talked about, <laughs> I, I thought about it a lot, and we've talked about it on this show, and I was very excited to lay that out, and that yeah. somehow just like landed totally wrong, and it just didn't. Oh, everything was so bad. Because uh, I was explaining what a hipster was, and I think that everyone at the table thought I was talking about them, but I wasn't. I was just explaining what my idea of a hipster was. I don't know these people at all. So it was, it was a really bad situation, and this is why I never go to bars. Well, you also don't really drink that much either, so it's... I wasn't drinking that night either. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I was totally sober. It's funny because this sounds like, uh, this sounds like the story somebody would tell later of, of a night of drinking gone poorly, yeah. but in this case, this is just regular old Andy behavior that happens to be in a bar. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, maybe it's just I can't be around people that are drunk because I, I can't be trusted. I don't know what the deal is. But uh, it was late. It was like 2 a.m. on a Sunday night. Good Lord. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a party, it's a festival. <laughs> so if you're tired of trying to explain your reasons for designing a website in a certain way and make all those hard calls, 
uh, you know what? You can just uh, take all of that responsibility off your shoulders and go get a site from squarespace.com. Because Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. No thinking involved, and I don't mean that in a bad way. (laughs) Your ideas about not having any ideas. Well, your ideas are all about your ideas instead of about being how to communicate your ideas. Because Squarespace has the communication down. You focus on what you're good at, all right? Listener, you make your thing. And then let Squarespace be the your megaphone to the world. The sites are going to look professionally designed regardless of your skill level. No coding required. They say they're going to look professionally designed, but it's, they are professionally designed by fantastic web designers. Uh, it's not like they're faking it. They really are professionally designed. The tools are intuitive and easy to use. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. It is trusted by millions of people, some of the most respected brands in the world. And when they do Super Bowl commercials, they're not trashy and gross. They're pretty funny. And not only that, it starts at $8 a month. Not that expensive. If you sign up for a year, you get a free domain. It really is amazing that you can have a website for $8 a month as good as a Squarespace website. I mean, you remember, the, you remember the days of GeoCities and Angel Fire? A lot of, like, skulls on fire and, it, and spinning various, around and uh, such. Gifts and chasing, chasing your mouse cursor around the page. Yeah, that was, uh, that's how you used to make websites. Uh, and you know what? It was fun for what it was. But, uh, but now I know that nostalgia is fake, so that thing's not actually good. What's good is Squarespace. You can get a website that is better than that, and you can start out for free. You start a free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code GRID to get 10% off of your first purchase and show your support for On The Grid. Yeah, that second part's the important one. Show your support for us. We told you about it. Use the offer code GRID because then they know we sent you. And I don't know if they give us more money. They just know that they didn't waste money. They just know it's working. They just know that we are are good stewards of the Squarespace brand. So thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and On The Grid. Squarespace, build a beautiful. Squarespace, stop living in the past. That's relevant, though, to me, because I, I, that's something I now am, I try to be very vigilant of, is just understanding how I respond to questions. And here's one of the problems that I have. One of the problems I have is that I think about lots of things all the time. My brain is always kind of churning on stupid, trivial, stupid stuff. Um, but if there's like a thing like, oh, gosh, what is a hipster? My brain will turn that rock over in my head. Like when I was first presented with the idea of a hipster at college, freshman year, I'd never even heard the idea before. Came from the suburbs. It was totally foreign to me. Uh, the, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out like, what is this culture? And do people self-identify as this? Or is it a mm-hmm. derogatory term? And what does it mean? What is the actual core fundamental definition of it? Not what are the sort of examples? Or, or I, we figure out what like makes this thing tick. Um, and I don't know what I have, but... Uh, that's kind of what I do for everything that I'm uh, that I'm presented with. I just can't help it, and I wish I could sometimes because it would make it easier to sleep and make it easier to focus on things. But uh, I can't. So because I do that all the time, very often a situation happens, like happened at this bar, where a topic comes up that I have thought a lot about, and the I think that's when I run the most danger of doing this thing we've talked about on the show, where mm-hmm. what I say sounds like uh, sounds like I'm insisting it's the truth. Or I'm saying something with uh, some confidence or charisma that is not reflective of what I actually want to be communicating, because I'm able to very quickly explain in articulate, careful language what I think a hipster is, because I've thought about that language and I've sort of done it before. Which isn't to say that 
I know and I am right. It's just to say that I have I have this thing in me ready to go. I've got it loaded up in the on it's it's on the it's on the deck. It's ready to go whenever it pops up. Um, and that is true of so many things. And I have like one of my like weird skills I've been working on is trying to talk about something I've thought a lot about in a way that isn't as uh, like standoffish. Mm-hmm. And I find it very hard. It happens in design too, right? He said, making the podcast about design, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you sit down and you uh, work on some kind of problem and you think of all the things that could possibly go wrong and you come up with a bunch of ideas and you try them out and they don't work. And so you throw them out or you sort of put them in a different file or you move on. And then somebody comes along and asks you a question that you addressed in one of these other things they're not looking at. And you, of course, want to explain like, oh, well, I thought of that. And here's what happens when that goes a little bit deeper or when there's this other state or whatever. But it's very hard not to do it without sounding like you're being defensive. And yeah. I don't want to be defensive, but I do want to explain the thinking I've put into something. So how do we reconcile that? Do you use just qualifying language to make sure that you're not sounding defensive? Because More than I want to. I, I wish I didn't have to. Like, I, I wish that it was the assumed, the assumed state that everything that comes out of my mouth is my opinion and what I think. I shouldn't have to say before I say something. It seems to me like, or... Uh, based on what I've seen, X, uh, yeah. that that should be the default. And it's obviously not because so many people don't speak with that uh, in that context. People will say things believing they are of the truth or believing that they have some objectivity. So, uh, yeah, I use a lot of qualifiers, and uh, I, I don't want to, but I feel like I feel like it's an important part of communication. It's like one of those things that I don't think should be true, but from all of the observation I've done, it seems like it's definitely true. I have to use those qualifiers if people think <laughs> that I'm basically, being arrogant. Basically, everything your, your English teacher taught you about unnecessary language is the opposite of true in these situations. Anytime you would have yeah. cut it out of an essay, you just sound very robotic. Well, yeah, I mean, please and thank you are unnecessary language, too. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it has something to do with how you deal with other humans and, you know, some level of empathy. But uh, the, the way I think about it is, or, or I think the way I come across often is I, I very much want to explain those things. And I don't want to do it in an aggressive way. If it's someone questioning a decision I've made and you're like, well, I've thought about this a lot, so I do want to explain it. Uh, I don't want to use aggressive language, but I do think I do. I think I come off very robotic sometimes because I'm trying specifically not to add too much tone or like <laughs> sound like, annoyed. You I know, have at thought the about question. this. The thought I had about this is that it would be pretty good, but this would be better. Maybe if we just change this other thing. But you know what I mean? When you're trying to explain something in a very technical way, because that seems like the most, uh, the least offensive way to explain it, as opposed to, uh, well, because I feel this way, that's something that can be argued with. If you, if you do it in a very precise and technical way, maybe that's something that can't be argued with and everyone will accept, but then it doesn't really sound that human. Uh, whereas qualifying language sounds very human, but it's so much fluff and bullshit that I have a hard time with it. <laughs> Yeah, um, and we, we've talked on the show a little bit about how, for me, I, honestly, I think these explanations are more the product of design than the actual design artifact. Your ability to explain why the button should be blue is more important than the fact that the button is blue. That is where you as a designer did your work. Anybody can pick a color, but the reason behind it is your actual value. And, uh, you know, this c- it comes back to everyone read the first few chapters of the beginning of Infinity and the power of explanations and blah, blah, blah. But... um. I, th- I think this is why this is important to me, right? Because uh, designers, or maybe it's not designers, maybe it's other stakeholders at companies are keen to remove the explanation, uh, or at least the human aspect of the explanation from any decision they can. 
Uh, I, I really think this is a big part of the draw of A-B testing. I think part of it is more knowledge about the people that are using the website and more knowledge about whatever thing you're designing. But a big part of it is just being able to offload that decision and explanation, right? Like you don't have to come up with a reason why this thing is. The reason mm-hmm. is that, look, it performed 4.6% better across all of the div- different tests than this other one did. So explanation complete, it is a number, that's all we need. Uh, and I think that that's really just an out in a lot of cases before coming up with an actually good explanation for why something makes more sense than something else. So these explanations I think about all the time, and I, I don't know how to, uh, I, I still, as a 27-year-old, have not figured out how to communicate these explanations without a uh, kind of arrogant or dismissive tone that I, I truly don't intend to carry. Like, I, I just want to explain what I've learned and what I've thought and what is going on in my head. And I, I have trouble doing that without people kind of reading it as defensive or uh, something. So so I have a question for the two of you, uh, because we... Oh, good, because we're on the podcast. This is perfect. Yeah, uh, because we've all worked in different... Uh, I don't know, environments. And I feel like I, I have the one environment that's very different from the two of you. Uh, if somebody, someone were to ask, like, why is the button blue? What is the first thing you do after that? Like, do you go... Cry. S- I break down and cry and I shit my pants. Oh, good. Okay. Um, like, do you go straight into the explanation of why it's blue? And this sounds like a dumb question, but I'm leading so up to something. It would de- usually, if someone asks a question actually that detailed, uh, I will tell them that it does not matter right now. Stop looking at that button. We are talking about something important. Okay. <laughs> um, well, almost always. Your, there's your aggressive problem, Andy. That's, that's why people think you're Andy-splaining. Oh, don't make that a thing, Matt. Don't you coin that term right now. No, Wait, what sir. Did you just you say? don't get to do that. I said Andy-splaining, but Andy uh, really called it out to make sure that no one would notice it, so uh, I said Andy-splaining. Yeah, there we go. Very <laughs> clear. Um, okay, outside of an example of a blue button, something where, like, do you try to, like, if somebody were to inquire something, do you automatically, like, right then bring up the defense, or do you rather inquire to try to understand why they're asking that question in the first place? Uh, I think my my default response, uh, if someone were to ask, why is this content on the homepage, for example, an important question, Mm -hmm. would be to, yes, first qualifying language. Uh, It seems, based on the conversations we've had, uh, then explanation that X content belongs on the homepage because it's most important for viewers to see this before they see the rest of whatever. Uh, My... I would only ask a question if I was unclear as to why that question was being asked. Uh, which happens often, you know, someone will ask a question and it's like, well, why did you ask about that? What is the sort of meaning behind that? But mm-hmm. oftentimes the question is just straightforward. Why is this this way? And um, yes, my, my default response is to explain why it is that way. Okay. Whether the, like, why the button is blue question. I mean, it seems, I don't mind answering that, that one specifically in that, like, the reason the button is blue is probably one of two reasons. There probably is some sort of logo and identity and the color came from that palette. And we tried not to make it red because red means delete or cancel or something like that. Uh, Maybe blue is part of your logo. Maybe blue complements your logo, but it's a cool color. Uh, It seems like it looks like a thing that people associate with good or accept or do. And, or the alternative could be, hey, we're in the middle of a presentation. We'll get to it when we, we get to the end. But uh, save your questions till the end. See, okay. Seem- like, this is very interesting <laughs> to me because, uh, one, I feel like we, because I'm, like, I'm in corporate world, so it's very different kinds of meetings. So I just feel like it's a very different environment on how we end up tackling a lot of these, like, stakeholder-based conversations. Um, 
like a lot of times when I go into meetings or just kind of like one-on-one with a product person or whomever I need to discuss the project with, um, if they go to ask a question of either why is this button blue or what do you like, why is this module or a piece of content the way it is? The absolute first thing I do is ask them, uh, why what's on their mind? What are the thoughts that they had to like want to inquire about that? And then I, I, mm. I sit back. How do, you, how do you actually ask that question though? Like that, like you're basically asking, why do you care? But like, but how do you make nice that way. Well, a, not the offensive, yeah, in a political way. Well, no, like I do it in the non-robotic way where I honestly want to try to understand, Oh, why that jumped in their brain? Is it a concern or is it something that like they see is incorrect? Maybe they have information that popped in their head or like something that they've known about that hasn't been revealed yet. So I want to understand uh, why they're inquiring about it. And if it was the case of like a, a chunk of content on a page, like there could be something where like maybe the requirements changed on something or maybe that there's an actual need for it or maybe it's a, a it's completely useless. And like, I want to understand that before giving an answer because then I get to understand more information. And if it were a case where I did need to like, uh, give an explanation of why it exists or, uh, the condition in which it exists, then I can do that. And I can say, um, like, here's, here's, this is why the way it is. Um, I understand uh, the reason why you have concerns about this, or now I understand like your point of view, or like I understand that the requirements changed. Nothing is set in stone, so uh, based off of that, we can work on it. But we just need to figure out what that thing is. So yeah, I guess Matt, it is more political, but it's like it's it's just more diplomatic because the more information I have, the better of the thing that I can make. So like I don't feel like I need to come up with an excuse for everything just to have an excuse as the first well, thing to come out excuse. of my well, see, yeah, that's the thing. That's it's, like, a, it's not an excuse. It's an answer to a question. You're having the exact response that I'm worried people are going to have. Like I'm, yeah. I'm answering a question, right? Like it's, and, and to me, um, so as Matt, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you might say, we're going to talk about so-and-so at the end of the presentation or at sure. the end of the meeting. Um, I don't think I've ever done that. And it, it's just because I largely view design uh, in the context of a big project. Like if you're working on a big complicated app or a product or a website or something i view design like visual design making a visual image to show somebody 95 percent as like a conversation starter like the whole point of the meeting is that you should be asking questions so yeah i'm not going to ask you why you're asking questions because that's why we're in this room and the whole point is you ask a question i give an answer you give me information i didn't have i respond to that information like this discourse is the whole reason we're there well the only reason i say maybe we'll save it to the end of the presentation is because i feel like sometimes questions come up where you're like i have a slide addressing exactly this and we're going to get there in about two seconds okay, yeah so that's a little give bit me different. a moment that's a little that's bit different, different. Yeah, yeah i guess i never that have comes slides up all the time yeah. um, um or slide yeah. or, or frame or yeah or sure, sure, sure. page or whatever whatever you want to no you're right Andy doesn't use pdfs we get it i'm pdf splaining <laughs> But the other thing too is Dan to your point like I'll um I will always get to the why it's just I'll get, I'll offer an answer first they ask me a question I'll answer the question if it's you know if if I'm not about to address it in a second anyway yeah. um but then I do want to know why it came up like is it is there a reason you asked you're purely curious there's do you have something waiting that uh blue means blue is the main color of your competitor and exactly this swatch of blue and we didn't know that and we should have known that yeah that's something to know why not just answer first i'm rarely in a situation where i don't have a reason like i yeah i had some sort of reason for doing it so 
I have an explanation. There's never going to be an excuse. Well, th- uh, no, it's just well, like okay. So excuse was a bad word, um, but I think the, the yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, but I think the point that I'm trying to get across is that I think we're we tend to handle that that microtransaction uh, mm-hmm. in 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 opposite direction. Like you give an answer first, and then you say, "But why did you ask?" And then for me like to ask a question I go ahead and ask them for further details. And then from there I say, well, this is the reason, like the initial reason why I went through this. And then based mm-hmm. off of your concerns, here's some options. Uh, so well, you don't want to look, I just think you don't want to look here evading the question first, like be very direct, prove that you know what you're doing. And then and you thought about it. Let's talk thing. about it afterwards. I'm more interested in kind of getting at the point that all of this sort of conflict around how to talk about your ideas behind something, which, again, I do want to emphasize is my vision of what design is. Like, you can make a pretty whatever all day, but your real value is your ability to explain that to your clients, explain that to your bosses, explain it to your coworkers, explain that to the world, explain mm-hmm. that to whoever you need to explain that to, to communicate something yes. uh, and sort of learn more about that divide. If we possess perfect communication, uh, I really do think designers would basically be useless. Uh, we have clients with needs and at least in my industry, you have people that can build apps and they would look at each other and immediately all the information would be transferred <laughs> and the person would be perfectly equipped to make the perfect app to solve the problem. Yeah. Um, the problem is that that is such a complicated bridge to build. And that is, I think, our, our job, right? To sort of build that bridge and, and foster that connection. So that is really important to me. And yet, in, in, in the worst moments, in the lowest moments, it feels to me like this whole profession is mansplaining. Like, the, like our, whole, our whole deal is just kind of patronizing, uh, that we have to walk into the room with some semblance or some illusion that we have thought about everything and we do know what's going on and we're going to present some kind of solution to something um when in reality it's so hard to ever get to any place like that uh and it's it's just it's very it's something i struggle with right the feeling that uh our job is kind of to make a best guess and present it as if it was more than that and put it out into the world boldly uh, as I get older, I possess less and less of that bold confidence about the things I'm making. Yeah, and, and like that's why I'm having such a hard time with this is uh, specifically because like if I, if you were to walk into a, a boardroom and give a presentation, it sounds like more often than not you say I have the answer. Is that correct? No, I say I have thought about this a lot. Okay, well, okay. and that is what I that is what I intend to communicate to people. Okay, because I have thought about it a lot uh-huh. and sharing those thoughts and especially as readily as I'm prepared to, sh- to share them, right? Like, someone asks a question, I'm not like, hmm, huh, I don't know, let me just uh, check my notes. I'm immediately like, that is that way because of this. Yeah. Uh, and if, if, if this changed, then we need to make a re- 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 reevaluation here. Uh, but if not, these are the reasons why I made it that way, to satisfy whatever concerns everybody had. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, um, and that's why, like, I, I definitely do not feel like myself in the workplace or other designers like me uh, feel like we end up mansplaining things to death uh, because like <laughs> I, I walk into a boardroom or like whatever meeting or whatever the situation is. And I say, uh, I've been doing a lot of work on this. I don't have all the answers. This is where we're at right now. And let's talk about it. Like that's, that is the tone I set. Uh, so I don't try to say like, okay, this is the answer because of this exact reason. I say, here's where I've gotten to up until this point. If we want to talk about yeah. it, that's fine. Cool. 
But um, like if there's something that's wrong, we should go and figure that out now. Uh, and uh, we're, I think we're coming from the exact same place, Dan. I yeah. mean, we've talked in the show about how we never even finish all of our mock-ups, right? We're never presenting a finished thing. It's never like, this is exactly what it's going to look like. Oh, yeah. It's always, this is where we're going. This is the important part. Uh, ignore the fact that the footer doesn't match on these two pages. That's just whatever. What's important is this particular chunk of whatever. Oh, sure. Um, so I, I don't feel that way. I, I never feel like I'm coming in with an answer. Uh, it's just, it feels sometimes like uh, our job is to, I, I believe our job is to think about the things someone else thinks about or to go a bit deeper than uh, somebody else in a different role might because that's our whole reason for being is to be there to think about things very carefully at least when we're talking about design in sort of the context of bigger systems um, this is probably not true if you're I don't know even making book covers or uh, designing greeting cards or whatever um, not to demean those things at all but I think the goal is a little bit different there than when you're trying to navigate a complicated system and your job is basically to be the be the the navigator you know to, to yeah. kind of help guide that i think the key like one i'm never going to walk in a room and say i don't have all the answers i think that's kind of a silly preface but well that's 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 a that's a perfect example of uh language something you shouldn't have to say no one has all the answers why should you have to say that like that should be taken as as writ that you come into that yeah. room without all the answers and also i mean that, i don't go ahead. i don't have that fear that you have of of over explaining things to people or mansplaining or whatever it is i mean maybe that just means i do it all the time and i'm a real jerk but i don't uh i'm maybe i'm not sensitive enough to have that fear but i i think the key difference is i'm not saying i have the reason I, but i do have a reason i'm not going to present something to you that has no thought or is stupid but that doesn't mean it's the only way and i think i've gotten recently i've gotten a lot more comfortable with someone having a suggestion that is not, you know, a designer on your team or something and being very open to to listening to that and <laughs> making a change based on that as opposed to I can definitely say the uh, difference between me now and me 3 or 4 years ago is being very reluctant because no one who is in a designer should ever offer any sort of design input that would be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. If if you're a student out there listening and you have that opinion do some do some searching cuz <laughs> that's a dangerous one. That's a real it's dangerous one. It's to just have. a well, it's just you don't feel like the expert yet. So when someone questions your thing, uh, it's very scary. And the only thing you could fall back on is, well, I'm the designer. How dare you? <laughs> I took offer three courses in graphic design. So I yeah. know the right font to choose. But that's the thing. Nobody, it's rarely even that. It's usually something a little bit more practical. And you want to say, well, you shouldn't say that. I'm the designer. But it might be something that they know a little bit more about. Who's mm -hmm. really, how often is anyone ever being like, that font is the wrong font. It should be a slightly different one. Unless it's just a drastic uh, misunderstanding of tone or something. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm comfortable with the definition of mansplaining I've I've come to, which is basically that it's an explanation with a assumption that is based in stereotypes or based in some unfair uh, assumptions about the person you're talking to. That that to me is what a mansplain is, as opposed to an explain. Yeah. Um. But I, I still, I, I guess, what it comes down to is like I'm so cognizant of the sort of male white dominated culture of design that anytime something kind of crops up as a tenet of how design should communicate that has some overlap with what i know to be an often mm, not malicious but an often uh sort of negative trait of that same privileged population 
I'm kind of like a little flag goes up and I'm like, wait yeah. a minute, mm-hmm. what's going on here? Is this just <laughs> us being uh, sort of patriarchal and patronizing by coming in here and thinking we have a bunch of explanations for things? But no, I mean, what, what I land on is that I think, again, I think explanations are good. I wish everyone would give me their explanations for everything. And I wish people would ask themselves for explanations more than they do because so many people don't do that. And I, well, I, think, I think that- Here, do you want to know the key difference? Or I, here's how to avoid the thing that you're afraid of. I think perfect. Put a bow on and it. And why? Why I'm not afraid of it. Put a bow. Put a bow. I don't work with anyone I think is an idiot. <laughs> like it just. I really don't. Yeah. All, all my coworkers, all my clients, like everybody that I work with, uh, I think I have a healthy respect for, and uh, like they have the job that they have because they're good at what they do. And I think the idea of mansplaining, over-explaining is based on the assumption that the person you're talking to is stupid. And if you just think the other person is smart, um, you can explain things that are your job and are not their job, and that is not uh, rude or uh, over-explaining something or, like, explaining something that somebody already knows. Like, half a big part of your job is just explaining the things that you know to someone who doesn't know them because why else are they hiring you to do it? Uh, and only you just don't assume anyone is an idiot and you try to do your best to explain it as if the person is smart because they are then you're going to be fine. Like, I could see getting into trouble if you really are working with uh, idiots and jerks and liars and people you don't respect. But if you can get yourself into a situation where you're working with people you respect, you're going to be fine. Uh, unless you just are a, a mean jerk to even people you respect, which is a, that would be a weird behavior trait. To paraphrase Dan Deacon, if everybody in the world treated strangers as if they were the coolest person they know, we'd all be doing a lot better. Why, why are you so afraid? Uh, I'm not, that, that, I'm doing, not like, that afraid. Like, I had this moment at this bar that yeah. uh, made me all of a sudden, like, these people thought I was a monster. And as yeah. far as they're concerned, I, I am, right? That was, the, that was the nine minutes they spent talking to me. Uh, unless they somehow come across this podcast, uh, that's their kind of takeaway. And that just feels terrible. And uh, then I tried to relate it to design because it's supposed to be a design podcast. So that's how we got there. I bet you assumed the nostalgia guy was kind of an idiot or a jerk, though, right? Uh, he was, by my read, a jerk. I don't think he was an idiot. He seemed actually kind of uh, like me in that he clearly had a lot of strong opinions about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just were opinions that I didn't agree with. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's what happened. But he started the whole thing by like, fucking coming to my friend who makes the video and being like, what, how do you feel about capitalizing on the, the lie that is nostalgia? Yeah. yeah. Like, what the yeah. fuck is that? What kind, what kind of thing is that to say to anybody? You thought, you thought he was a social idiot. And he didn't understand what to do with himself, so you treated his him as such. Body and language was this. so aggressive. <laughs> like his, his like lean forward in his chair, and like his eye contact is very just like every like every uh, hair in the back of my neck stood up. I was like, oh, this guy. <laughs> and I was like, I better explain stuff to him. <laughs> Did not change his mind. So, um, so yeah, that's that. So, so your streak is unbroken. You still never changed anybody's mind. Yep, there we go. It's what it is. Is what it is. Guys, I was afraid I'd run out of things I loved. I had a list going. I was very worried about this. I thought, surely I'm at the bottom of anything I could possibly love anymore. But then you remembered your mommy. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Our happy ending this week is Matt's mommy.
I think I just need to be a better list taker. Andy clearly just uh, wanders around the world and writes down a list of everything that could possibly even be in list form. Maybe I just need to get better at doing that. That's the physical manifestation of my constant overthinking, by the way, in case you're wondering. Is just turning things into lists? Yeah. Like, oh, those things, those things share a trait. That's a, that's a pattern. Let's start recording that for posterity. That'll be mm-hmm. important someday. It makes sense. Uh, but then I thought about something that I love so much that I would literally play it every single night I went to bed when I was in middle school and high school, and it would just play on a loop endlessly until I woke up, and uh, I had probably memorized the, the, the episode already because the same thing had happened the night before, and I only had access to a certain number because this was before uh, DVDs were coming out with TV shows, and it's a show called Mr. Show. It was Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. They did a sketch show. And a sketch show, unlike, I think, most sketch shows that we're used to, where you will watch, say, Saturday Night Live and go, oh, this isn't as good as it used to be because you only remember the good sketches and then, like, 75% of them you don't think are funny and then you forget about it for a year and you come back a year later and go, oh, this isn't as good as it used to be. Every sketch was to uh, not-yet-comedy-nerd Matt was brilliant and new and experimental and interesting. They also all tied each other. They all they tied every sketch together, uh, which is unlike a lot of things I'd seen before where it just was the beginning. It's almost like you jumped into the middle of everything with a show like Saturday Night Live or Mad TV or whatever other sketch shows we're talking about, whereas this kind of seemed to tie everything together uh they did it in clever ways and it was just hilarious it was like the beginning of me becoming a comedy nerd and i think anyone who is a comedy nerd that had uh that has had any sort of encounter with this probably cites it as their favorite show when they were a kid but i'll point you at two things one one of my favorite ones is the audition which is david cross walks into a room begins his audition, which basically sounds exactly like him doing an audition. And every time they interrupt with a very, an interrupt because he asks them a very specific and pointed question, he gets very frustrated because they've just ruined his audition that, uh, in which he asks the guy behind the desk if he can use the chair, but that was in fact part of the audition. Can I use this chair? Sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I started it. That's, oh, that's part of the monologue. Oh, God. Oh, I thought you were asking us to. Write. No, no, I was doing it. Okay. Oh. Can I use this chair? Yeah. No, 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 no. (laughs) The other one, which actually comes up on a lot on, uh, I bet Andy knows because it comes up a lot on Merlin shows, is the pre-taped Colin show, uh, where a guy is trying to record an episode of a show where he tapes it in advance and then airs it the next week, but asks someone to call in about the topic that is last week. And it's just a series oh, of people not being able to understand and get it wrong. Yeah. And I'm endlessly frustrated that it doesn't work. It reminds me of a podcast, basically, yeah. where you have a topic you've already talked about. It's in the bank. And then people want to talk about the thing that happened last week, even though you remember just talking about the things that happened. Tonight, the elderly. Good evening and welcome to the pre-taped call-in show where we tape all our shows a week in advance. I'm your host, Ken Doral, and uh, let's try it again. It's really not that hard, okay? Our topic, once again, 
is the elderly. Okay. We're, we're taping it now, and it airs next week. Okay? So if you're watching me talk about the elderly, don't call to talk about it. It's too late. Instead, call about cooking, which is next week's topic. Okay? If you wanted to talk about the elderly, you should have called last week when our pet care show was airing, but we were taping the elderly show. I would say Mr. Show is by far the best sketch show that's ever existed, as far as I'm concerned. And it was on HBO maybe for a couple of years. You can go get all the DVDs. I'm sure you can download on the internet at this point. Uh, and I would recommend watching every single one of them, especially if you like those two I just said. Mr. Show. This has been On The Grid, episode 133. This week, I want you to visit our subreddit, onthegrid.reddit.com. I'm going to post a link to this show where you can post comments, let us know what you think, or share your own links you think we might enjoy. Onthegrid.reddit.com. Thanks to Dan for the interlude music, thanks to Glassboy for the ad music, thanks to Girlfriends for the theme music, and finally, thanks to you for listening. Until next week. Yeah, I re- regrettably, I think I have to admit that the best title for this show is probably Andy's Planning. It's not, it's not good. It's not. I'm not excited about it. But I think if I'm being uh, selfless, I think it's probably going to be the one that gets the most downloads. You're not wrong practically. You're just wrong emotionally and existentially in what you are. People love uh, to see me be wrong. I'm just trying to be thoughtful and live my life out loud. That I might that I might help other Andes out there. You have all this gold to work with. Giving you gold, McInerney. Can't stop, won't stop. Boop. All right, I guess I'll stop recording then.